wonder why sustaining change is so hard? Welcome back. I hope that uh, all of you have had a good week so far. This is Dr. Jim Schrader and Living a Whole Christian Life. I begin with this question that I think so many of us ask so often in our lives. Why is it so hard to change? And why is it so hard to sustain change that we really want to have? So we begin with this idea of change. We actually carry over from last week. And I want to begin with a reflection here on, I think, one of the conundrums that we face in the world that we live. And that is that we live in an outcomes-focused world with a process-oriented God. If you think about our world, it is so geared towards how the outcomes work out, your accomplishments and what you do and how you achieve your goals. So many things about our lives are geared towards a particular outcome. And in many ways, there's nothing wrong with the goals that we have. Goals do a few things for us. One, they provide a clear target of where we want to go. You know, they often kind of provide a pathway that we didn't see before and orient our gaze or our focus towards this. Two, they motivate us to increase our capacity. Without goals, how would we know that we could run a little further or talk a little bit longer in the way that we need to talk? Or how would we know that we could reflect or meditate on who we are and, and grow in many different ways? So they, they do motivate us to increase our capacity. And three, goals are ways to connect with others throughout the world or even just in your own home or to connect it with even other causes that we might hold dear. So there's nothing wrong with goals. There's nothing wrong with desiring certain outcomes. But here's the challenge. What happens when we either achieve or we fail a goal that we have, right? We've all been in those situations before where you're striving, you're working really, really hard, and you either reach the pinnacle of that achievement or you fail to get where you want to go. And then the question is, what's next? And so this is where we find ourselves... And we talked last week about some of the challenges and why those New Year's resolutions or any kind of resolutions don't seem to sustain themselves. We go out too hard or we don't find particular meaning in ways that would be you know, helpful for us. There's a lot of different reasons why change doesn't sustain itself. But here we come today. We're talking about this, this kind of conundrum, which is, again, that we live in an outcomes-focused world and we have a process-oriented God. And what happens often, whether we achieve a goal or we fail to achieve a goal, is we come to a point where we recognize then what's next. And without a change in process, without a change in our focus or our lifestyle, we're likely to revert back to the place that we were before. In many ways, we can call this our default, right? Our default's kind of the composite of many experiences, maybe our early kind of the way we were raised or just our personality or whatever it is, but we kind of fall back to that default if we truly don't undergo a change in the process that we go about. So why is this? And I think we're going to spend some time today talking about a couple of key reasons why it's so difficult to sustain change. So the first thing is we have to consider that the daily default, right, our daily experiences and our habits that we've developed do two things for us. One, they help us feel good, right? No matter what's going on, those daily habits, those little things that we do bring a sense of just immediate gratification, maybe joy, maybe just feeling good, regardless of the rest of our day. But two, these habits, these particular ways of just how we've entrenched ourselves, also decrease the tension, decrease the anxiety that we have. So years ago, I was working at a different facility, and I had this friend and a nurse, and we got in this discussion one day, and she was talking about her 
two-coke-a-day habit. By coke, of course, I'm not talking about drugs here. I'm talking about the legal version of Coca-Cola. And she was talking about how for years and years, she had always had to drink two Cokes a day. Now, as a nurse, she knew that over time, there was a kind of a price to pay for this habit. She knew that, you know, recognized that it wasn't the best thing for her, not just physical health, but even her psychological health. But as we were talking about this, she really honestly and very transparently said, you know what, though? I know it's not really the best thing for me, but I don't know a better way to get immediate sense of positivity or to feel good in a way that no matter what's happening with my day would be available. And so she, in an honest way, and I think we all feel this at times, couldn't find another source of immediate kind of goodness to substitute for that Coke, the Coke in the morning and the Coke in the afternoon. And so she found herself having a difficult time sustaining change. You know, we all have these daily fixes. We all have these particular things not only to help us feel good, or maybe they provide a little bit of an entertainment, but they certainly take the edge off. They certainly take some of the anxiety and just the tension that we feel. It might be a cup of coffee from Starbucks in the morning. It might be just launching into social media over your lunch hour throughout what's going on at work. It might be that you dive into talk radio. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that we get our fixes. And, you know, in and of themselves, again, it's not necessarily that they're all unhealthy or they, they are bad in general. But what we find is that it's really difficult to think about the idea of those being removed. So as you're listening here today or this morning, this afternoon, whenever it is, kind of ask yourself, okay, one, what's the daily habit or habits that I have that bring me ultimate immediate goodness? And two, how would I feel if I had to remove those from the equation? How would I feel if for some reason these issues were causing me or my family or others or whatever detriment, they were causing harm, and I got to the point where I felt like I had to remove these habits? How would I feel about that? The reality is that that is one of the biggest deterrents to sustaining change. You know, we often talk about lots of other reasons, logistical reasons and other things. And there are a lot of factors that contribute to why sustaining, you know, a change is difficult. But this is one of the big reasons is that we don't trust change to provide that immediate need that we have. Here's a really interesting reflection on this. There years ago was a research by a Harvard professor, Dr. W. Kip Viscusi. And his research was around talking to smokers. These were smokers, not just who started smoking, but in many ways had smoked for years or decades. And the question he asked them was simple. He said to them, how many years do you think that you're giving away by smoking the way you do? And the results were actually shocking, but in some ways almost predictable. On average, those smokers that he polled over-predicted the number of years that they would lose to their life. They had average predicted nine years loss of life, when in reality, the actual average is about six to seven years. But isn't that amazing? They over-predicted, they thought they were giving almost a decade away of their life. And yet, acknowledging very honestly, many of them were, had no intent on quitting, or if they did, they weren't sure if it was possible. So we're willing to go to our grave to keep things in our lives that bring us an immediate release of tension, even to the point of giving away a full decade. So the second thing about change is that change is really unpredictable. And bad habits aren't. (laughs) I guess that's the best way of thinking about it. I mean, we kind of know what we're getting from our bad habits. Yes, over time, certain habits can lead to an erosion of health. They can do certain things that 
maybe we don't necessarily predict completely or know, but we kind of know what we're getting ourselves into with bad habits. But the challenge is, is that when we try to forego bad habits and we go after some type of change or alteration in our life, we're not sure really what to expect. And for as bad as these bad habits might be, and again, many habits are not this, it's almost as if we are more comfortable with the badness than we are with the potential goodness that doesn't have a guarantee. We are such interesting people as human beings, but change itself just makes us uneasy, even if we're living honestly in our own misery, right? And I don't mean to make light of this, but sometimes I think we have to laugh at ourselves because we think, wow, we are willing to live in pretty miserable situations because of the fear that what we might do might actually be worse. And I think that's the next thing to consider is that change is always a leap of faith. Even small changes are leaps of faith. Certainly big changes are monumental high jumps and long jumps of faith. And the question we get stuck in is, will this change actually create more pain and more discomfort than I'm already feeling? Will taking away those two Cokes a day actually like reduce even further my ability to feel joy? And will it occur in some ways, even though I know it's kind of good for my health, will it induce even more pain or discomfort or unsettledness in my days? And this happens a lot in relationships. Think of how many times that for all of you listening, you know, we've all been in difficult uh, moments of our relationships. And some of you, unfortunately, I'm sure divorced or separated. We've been through all sorts of difficult relationships with family members and friends. And at any given point, there are so many times in our lives where we know in our heart that we probably should be having conversations, that we probably should be finding a way to be what we call the goo factors, genuine, unconditional, positive regard, and empathetic in our communication. And yet, how many times have we all pulled back from these opportunities of conversation, not because we didn't think we should try, but because we're not even sure if going through that discomfort is going to land us in a better place. Here's the ultimate thing. We say that change is difficult, and it is, but I actually think it's the unpredictability of change and where it's going to lead that often takes us back to the same place we've always been. We talked about this early in the podcast. It's that anxiety that immobilizes us to say, don't do it, don't do it, because even though it's bad right now, it might get worse. Even though you're not really happy at all, you know, it could still go down from here. And so we stop and we don't know what to do. This is a tough place because we all have outcomes that we desire. And I think that we have to go back to that initial idea that I I mentioned, which is that we live in an outcomes-focused world with a process-oriented God. And the challenge is, is that when we see outcomes we desire, but we're not guaranteed of those outcomes, we become demoralized, or at least we become less motivated to go through with it. But what if we switched it? What if we, instead of thinking as the world thinks, considered how God thinks and how God has thought throughout all the Old Testament, the New Testament, all the different communications, which is that he's asking us to strive towards a process with no clear outcome. Even heaven, beyond this world, heaven's not guaranteed to us. Even that's an opportunity only because of grace of God for what we believe that even heaven's not guaranteed. And certainly then that means nothing in this world, other than I mentioned last time, change, challenge, and sure is guaranteed to us. But if we assume a God perspective instead of our human worldly perspective, what we would start to see is that there's great, great value 
in taking on the process of change and adopting a new process, regardless of where these outcomes may lead. And we'll talk more about this next week. And But I, I just want you to, us to consider, think about the virtues that we hold dear. And they are the virtues of prudence and courage and temperance and justice and faith and hope and love. And ask ourselves, what's the outcome of any of those? Define for me when I have been courageous and I have completed the courageousness that I need to complete. Define for me when I've so loving that I no longer have to love anymore. Define for me when temperance has taken over and I never have to worry about anything becoming gluttonous or indulgent in a way that might be unhealthy. There is no outcome. There's no outcome to any of these. And so this is where I think we find our glimmer of hope and actually find a great hope when we're frustrated that we can't sustain change. And it's really interesting that the science behind this supports this idea when we're rewarding our children, which says that there's nothing wrong with offering person-centered praise to people like, oh, you're so smart, or you did such a good job, or you know what we often would call like outcome-focused praise, oh, great job on the test, or great job on your athletic competition. I mean, that is sometimes just what we do. But what research has said is that the best kind of praise, not just for our kids, but for ourselves, is effort-based praise because it doesn't compromise those from taking chances that they don't know what's going to happen and potentially upset the image they have for themselves. And it doesn't demoralize those who are struggling so much that they don't even know if it's worth carrying on because they're never going to be as good as other people around them. Effort-centered praise honors the idea that no matter where we are, it's the process that we're going through. It's the process that we're adopting. It's the process that we're striving towards that's really the most important thing. And that's what I love about the virtues. That's what I love about kind of our faith is that all of these areas, I'm striving to be more courageous without recognizing, hey, that there is any outcome, of course. I'm striving to find greater hope knowing that there's never a finality to that on this earth. And so that's where I would argue that if we really want to change in our lives today, we have to begin to take a perspective outside of this world and consider what our God is asking us to do. It's okay to have outcomes. It's okay to strive towards goals. And it's okay, you know, to even have sometimes expectations of things that we desire to happen. But in a God-focused world, in a world focused on our divine perspective, where we really should put our priorities, is creating a process that sustains us all of our days, no matter how many times we fail, and no matter how many times we come up short, no matter how many times we disappoint the person that matters most, ourselves. If we're talking about people that matter, it's really what we think first that matters the most. Because if we disappoint ourselves repeatedly, and I know that all of us listening, all of you, we've disappointed ourselves many times. But if we disappoint ourselves repeatedly, then where do we go from there? As we look forward to sustaining change, as we look forward to you know, ways to grow, let's maybe switch the perspective to the process in our lives. And in doing so, what we have to come to embrace is finding great meaning and joy in this risky adventure we call life. Hope everybody has a great week. This is Jim Schrader. Be holy, be whole.